You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat podcast where baseball meets Broadway. An attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to Break a Bat, where baseball meets Broadway and sports meets show business. I'm your host, Al Malafronte, coming at you from the batter's box with an actor, voiceover artist, producer, director, writer. Uh, He's actually voicing the lead character, Nate, in the highly anticipated Nickelodeon animated series, Big Nate, which is set to premiere February 17th on Paramount+. Plus. We're so grateful that he could join us today in the batter's box. So with that being said, I ask you all to please turn your attention to home plate. Just beyond the marquee, now batting Ben Giroud. Ben, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Al. Uh, it's such a pleasure, my friend. You got the uh, the actual voiceover artist set up behind you. Is that where you do all your records these days in uh, yeah. COVID times? You know, what's interesting is like prior to the pandemic, we you know, most voice actors had a decent setup at home to do uh, audition, mainly auditions for. But man, uh, you know, COVID basically made every voice actor have to build their own uh, broadcast studio from home. So I am talking to you from my, my fancy closet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as far as Big Nate goes, when did you start production on that? Well, that's a great question. You know, we actually, I booked the show the first week of the pandemic in March, 2020. Uh, and so astonishingly, no one has ever been in the same room for our show, uh, which so many, you know, voice actors and uh, folks in animation can attest to these days. All of the new things coming out have largely happened during the pandemic. I think what makes our show unique is that most shows right now in the pandemic, it's just a voice actor from their home studio talking to a voice director or an engineer, and then it's sort of cut together in post-production, the performances. Our show, we still record as an ensemble. So uh, once a week, we get on a big Zoom, and I think that has been instrumental in creating some magic for our show in the performances because we're able to react off of each other. We're able to improvise still. We still get sort of that collective... Uh, collaborative creativity that y- you otherwise wouldn't have if it was um, completely in isolation. So very grateful for the folks at Nickelodeon for figuring out a way for us to still record as an ensemble in a in a pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Now tell us a little bit about the show. For the folks at home, you know, there's a lot of uh, baseball moms in the audience with kids at home <laughs> who certainly love Nickelodeon. So what can we, we be looking forward to as far as Big Nate goes? Yeah, absolutely. So Big Nate is based off of a very successful comic strip and a series of books that's been going on since the 90s uh, by Lincoln Purse. Uh, And there's a, I think I, when I first booked the show, I'm 37, so I think I missed the initial like Big Nate fandom. Um, But there's a huge global fan base for the characters already, which was, it was fun to kind of retroactively go and educate myself on 
um, uh, the fandom for Big Nate. So I feel, you know, as playing the title character, I have a responsibility to the source material to make sure that I'm honoring, you know, the existing fan base, but also, you know, expanding it into a whole new generation of fans that might not all, already be familiar with Big Nate. So yeah, Big Nate is this precocious, mischievous sixth grade kid. He's got this ragtag group of misfit friends. They think they're the coolest cats in the world, but they are objectively not at all. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because Nate's got uh, total fearless confidence. And I think that's what I admire most about him. And it really just follows the sixth grade kid and his misadventures and hijinks and pranks. Uh, the cast is extraordinarily funny. It's all a bunch of gifted improvisers and comedians uh, and character actors. Uh, and like I said, improv is a big part of our show. Um, and so we're able to kind of riff off of each other. And I think you'll see those, those moments reflected in the end result. Um, Jack Black's in the pilot with us. So it's just a really gifted cast. And, and the original episodes of the show are actually not, you won't find those storylines in the comic strips or the books. So it's, it's really allowing us to elevate the uh, Big Nate canon into new territory. Now, out of all the episodes that uh, you got to be in, do, do you have like a favorite or was there a certain, uh, you mentioned having the ability to improv. Was there like, is there something that stands out from those recording sessions that you're really excited to see brought to life in animated form? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I think, I, you know, I'm a child of the 90s. So I grew up watching OG Nicktoons, right? Doug and Rugrats and Ren and Stimpy. And I think I, the thing that I appreciated most about those original Nicktoons uh, was there was an edge to the comedy. There's a bite to it. You know, it, it, adults and kids could like it. It could could uh, both sort of find something that they enjoyed from from watching an episode. And so I think our show really harkens back to um, that sort of edgy 90s Nickelodeon comedy. You know, I, the, the episode that comes to mind for me is our, uh, in this first batch of episodes that Paramount's releasing on uh, the 17th, uh, our Valentine's Day episode is... Uh, basically just a zombie episode. Like Nate wins a pizza party for his entire school and the pizza is tainted with food poisoning. And basically the whole thing turns into kids with food poisoning and everybody vomiting on each other. And it's the whole, it's his quest to, you know, sort of finally tell his true love, Jenny, what he thinks about her. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, there's a lot of vomit. <laughs> <laughs> So typically when you're doing voiceover work for an animated series, um, is it all animated beforehand or are you recording the dialogue and they animate to your dialogue? How does that work? Yeah, it's a great question. It sort of depends on the project, but typically with uh, an original animated series like this, we record all of the voices first uh, and that allows us to kind of riff off script to, you know, um, again, just kind of react and make the script our own. Then what happens is they make an animatic based off of the original record uh, of the voices, uh, which is basically a, a, a sort of a sketch, uh, like a series of images uh, based on what the final animation is going to look like. Then they send that to the animation studio and they fully animate it. Our show is a 3D CGI show. What I think makes it so interesting in terms of the visual look is most CG shows are lit fully and very glossy and bright. 
Our show is actually lit practically, meaning you might see um, characters lit by sunlight streaming in through a window or uh, a lamp in the corner of the room. And it allows us to see sort of the texture in the characters' faces. And there's a real sophistication to um, to the overall look, which I've, I've never really seen anything like it on television. I also think the thing that's fascinating about our show in terms of the animation is it melds multiple styles of animation together. So Nate uh, doodles, he draws in the show. Uh, and so his doodles come to life as 2D animations within our 3D CGI world. There's also like stop motion stuff, there's cutout animation. It's unbelievable the different styles that they've included. And I think it just sort of adds to the, uh, the appeal of the show and certainly harkens back to the source material, which is a comic strip. Now, growing up, did you have certain inspirations from the voice acting world? Now, I'm a big Muppet fan, and obviously, what, and we've had a lot of the Muppet performers on our show. And there's a big distinction between being a puppeteer who creates characters, and then, of course, a voice actor who creates characters. And and you're an actor as well in in your own right. So, was it always the uh, the voice acting that drew you into? Uh, you know, pursuing this career path? And who were some of the people you looked up to on that front? Uh, it's a great question. You know, I, I think there are certainly actors that are like, oh, I'm just a voice actor. I'm just in the voiceover world. This is just what I am. I, I like to s say that voiceover is one of the many things that I, I have sort of in my, my career toolbox. Um, so as you uh, so eloquently put, I, I'm, you know, I started primarily as an on-camera television actor, which I still do. Um, you know, in terms of like early, like people that I sort of aspired to, I mean, there's a, <laughs> there's a photo of me as a six month old and my dad is holding me up to the TV in the eighties and I'm watching the three stooges I'm watching, uh, Mo slamming an anvil over Curly's head. So, you know, comedy was kind of baked into me from the start, uh, in terms of the voiceover world, you know, I, Early on when I got uh, my first like really big voiceover agent, I remember sitting in the lobby and the thing that's so fascinating about voiceover is you might not know what somebody looks like or what the name is for an iconic character. So I found myself building all of these great friendships in my voiceover lobby at my agency, just like chatting, you know, you would go in and you would audition in person pre-pandemic, right? And, you know, this is at this point, 15 years ago. And, you know, I'm having a great conversation with this guy named Billy. And I'm like, oh, it's Billy West, the voice of Doug and literally everything. Oh, he's nice. Oh, and then I'm, oh, this, this lady's really great. You know, I'm having a great conversation with her. She's becoming a friend. Oh, it's E.G. Daly, the voice of Tommy Pickles and, and everything. So um, it's, it's interesting sort of putting a face to a character name, uh, you know, when you, when you get to meet some of your, the voices that you grew up watching. Um, and it's really been a full circle moment for me too, to be honest with you. I, I, you know, I watched Nickelodeon growing up. And so to be, uh, both on camera and behind the mic at the network is a, is a very full circle moment for me. That is absolutely awesome. And now you talk about that golden age of animation in the 1990s for Nickelodeon. I too was a big Doug fan. Hey Arnold, Rugrats watched all that stuff. Uh, you also, I know you're a big NBA fan and you, the roots of your fandom start back in those 1990s when I believe the NBA was at its absolute peak. Take me through that being, you know, you talked about your love of the Phoenix Suns to me earlier. How did that all start? And just give me some background on that. 
Yeah, man. So look, I know you're a baseball centric show, so I apologize. I'm not much of a, a baseball guy, but I am an NBA encyclopedia. And I would tell you, my mom and I growing up, you know, in, in the nineties, we had season tickets to the Phoenix Suns. And, uh, you know, we had the top row of the arena, cheapest seats in the arena, but you know, for me, those were the most dedicated fans. So I went to all of those old school, uh, you know, Suns games with Charles Barkley, Kevin Johnson, and uh, Mark West, and uh, Cedric Sabalos. Um, so huge, huge NBA fan, you know, grew up playing NBA Jam, actually in- incorporated uh, some NBA Jam custom animation into one of the music videos that I did. Um, just a big basketball fan. I'm part of a very competitive fantasy basketball league with my buddies. It's a great, way to sort of stay connected with my friends, but also bet a little bit of money every week. And uh, we have fun with it. I got my sister involved in the league. I was like, yeah, you you know, let me let me show you the ropes. And she's crushing me this season. Uh, So (laughs) she's showing me the ropes. It's been great. Now, what's your favorite uh, Suns era? Was it that Charles, those Charlie, Charles Barkley teams from the 90s? Or did you like the Nash and Amari teams too uh, in the late 2000s? You know, the the Nash, like, 04, 05, 06 season, uh, you know, with Amari Stoudemire and Sean Marion and Joe Johnson, had he not gotten his orbital bone fractured, I think it was an 06 against the Mavericks. I was at that game. Uh, I think the Suns would have won that year. Then the following year, Boris Diaw and Stoudemire get... Uh, um, uh, suspended for leaving the bench during a, a scuffle with the Spurs. I think the Suns could have won the, the championship that year. So, and certainly they could have won it this past year if Giannis hadn't turned into full beast mode and gotten 50 in like two consecutive games. I thought we had it. You know, we were up 2 0 in the finals. I think this is the year. I think the Suns have never won the championship. I think this is the year. I think uh, they've beefed up the center position. They've got JaVel McGee now, they've got um, Bismack Biombo. Uh, I think they're beefed up the center position to guard Giannis should they meet in the finals again. They actually just pummeled the Bucks last night. I don't know when you you post this, but um, yeah, I, I think this is the year. CP3, I've been a big fan of his for a long time. I watched him during his Clippers days with Lob City and Br- Blake Griffin. So I, I think the Suns have every piece you need to win a championship this year. I, I feel pretty good about their chances too. And it's an interesting chapter in New York basketball history because there were all these crazy high expectations for the Brooklyn Nets, obviously. And then Bing with the bong. Knicks, uh, right? <laughs> with the Knicks, all of a sudden, it's, I mean, after the season they had last year, it's just been such a disappointment. They didn't really do anything at the trade deadline either. Uh, and they, they were, I was listening to an interesting debate uh, the other day, like which season was a bigger disappointment? Was it is it the Nets because of the super team that they more or less had, less Kyrie Irving playing in New York anyway, or was it you know and the fact that they're on the cusp of maybe making it into that that play in game, or is it the Knicks given the fact that they shocked the world last year and now they're you know on the outside looking in in the playoffs? Like it's kind I mean, of like a really weird chapter hey, here. Hey man, at least you guys aren't the Lakers. I, at this point, I'm at this point I'm hate watching the Lakers. It's just so fun to watch the drama of the team completely implode. Um, you know, they're all 700 years old. It, they don't have any spacing. It's just an absolute mess. Uh, look, I think with the Knicks, Julius Randle's great, but he just can't be your number one option. I think they they've, they just are hungry for that 1A player. And I think, you know, uh, Randle could be 1B. Um, you know, you've had some injuries. I think D. Rose has been out. Um, but if you're counting on D Rose to come back and, you know, suddenly vault you into playoff contention, I think you don't have the roster, right? Uh, the nets are interesting. This big trade obviously just went down, you know, the, I think the, the 
the scary hours, big three of Harden and uh, Durant and Irving played a total of 16 games together. Uh, so that's a big what if. I love the coaching staff on the Nets, obviously, because it's it's Nash and Amari. It's all the guys I grew up watching, uh, certainly in college. Um, but yeah, I it's going to be interesting with Simmons. Can he get his head on straight? Uh, you know, I think Drummond is a great pickup for them. I think that's going to give them some size. Certainly the Nets are in better position than uh, the Knicks. The Knicks just need, man, the Knicks need <laughs> a lot. <laughs> new ownership. They need to start at the top. They need new ownership. I'll tell you what, Although the, I, I like this new regime a lot better than what, you know, was there yeah. three, four years ago, of course. No, but. I think, I think they're doing a significantly better job. Like I said, I think they got all the pieces, you know, Barrett's great. I just think, look, they're better than the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> so you think LeBron's won his last championship too then, right? Yeah, well, they don't have any assets. You know, I mean, the, they didn't do anything at the trade deadline. Like, they couldn't. They wanted to. Westbrook's been a disaster, but where's he going to go? Back to Houston for the ghost of John Wall? Uh, there's nowhere they can ship his contract to. He's making $47 million next year. Uh, I think they're just sort of, they're going to have to figure out a way to make it work, and it just objectively, clearly doesn't work. AD's sort of gotten a little bit worse as he's been on the team. I think he was like just full-on, you know, he was like... Uh, the next version of Wilt Chamberlain, and now not so much. You know, Giannis, that the last time they played uh, the Bucks, really, you know, abused him in the paint. So I just think, you know, and LeBron's, LeBron's like, what, two months old, younger than me? I'm 37. Like, I, I would struggle in an NBA game right now. <laughs> <laughs> now, as far as your career goes, do you actively seek uh, auditions for different, you know, NBA promos and commercials and to do the voice work for that? Do you, you have know, those I, types of opportunities? I don't, but I tell you what, I'm, I always, look, as an actor, you're always happy to get any kind of gig, right? But when something comes through that's in any way basketball related, I definitely light up. It, it's either basketball or 90s nostalgia. Like, those are the things that make me light up and maybe I, I uh, you know, I throw in a couple extra takes because I really, really want to book it, right? Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Now, one thing, I am a baseball fan first, but I love, I'm sure you've caught them quite a bit on uh, ESPN Plus, all the, like binge watching the 30 for 30s on, like, oh, you know, yeah. on a Sunday where you're not doing that much, especially the NBA ones. Um, like the one I w watched most recently, and it had been years, was this magic moment. Did you watch that one with, about Shaq and Penny? You know what? I, I know of it. I have not seen it yet. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, obviously the last dance is the gold standard, but I would actually put that one right there. And especially if you're a 90s NBA fan, uh, just to hear that story and how close they got. Obviously, they were playing in the Jordan era, but, you know, they, they, like the Knicks had that little window of opportunity when Jordan went to play baseball and just couldn't get it done. It's like, it's so, you're, so, you get so emotionally invested because oh. you get, you just feel the heartbreak for these guys, you know, you know, everyone who had to play in the uh, Jordan era. I mean, I felt that when I was watching The Last Dance and I thought of the 1993 NBA finals with Barkley and uh, Dan Marley and man, that John Paxton shot went in in game six and that just crushed the hopes and dreams for a generation. <laughs> Oh man! Well, yeah, he certainly did that to uh, to quite a few fan bases. But um, man, you've been really keeping busy though during this quarantine. You sir, you probably don't have as much time as I do to crush thirty for thirties. You've uh, <laughs> you've put together quite the uh, TikTok following. I see. 
Yeah, you know, TikTok is so interesting because at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, it was just sort of this fun sandbox to kind of experiment with creatively. You know, I have a production company, so on outside of my uh, my on camera and behind the mic career, I direct, I produce, I make commercials, music videos, that kind of thing. And so I went from being on set with two hundred people and a jib crane and a steady cam and all this great technology to being in my living room with an iPhone and TikTok uh, in the in the middle, you know, in the beginning of COVID. COVID times. So TikTok was a great creative outlet. Initially, I was able to kind of leverage an audience via my mostly my on camera Nickelodeon work. Um, yeah, it's about four and a half million kiddos on there now. It's been a great platform. It has since become very integral to most of the things that I do. You know, I'm getting directing gigs because of TikTok now. Um, I'm, I'm directing things for TikTok, you know, vertical video stuff. Uh, it's it's really you know, been a really exciting platform, a great way to interact directly with a fan base. And certainly it's a young fan base. So with having Big Nate coming out, I'm able to directly interact with them to promote the show. Uh, so it's really become integral to almost everything I do in entertainment. That is absolutely awesome, man. It's a great follow. And for the folks at home who may want to connect with what you're doing on TikTok or, you know, for some of the baseball or theater moms with kids that may have TikTok, where can they find you there? Yeah, it's just at my name, Ben Giroux, B-E-N-G-I-R-O-U-X, most active on TikTok and Instagram. Awesome. Now, uh, Ben, I know you're a basketball fan first, but we do a little segment on this show called Fastball Derby where, I, you know, I want to put you in the batter's box here. Okay. And you think of me as a Raldis Chapman, maybe the fastest throwing man. Actually, he is the fastest throwing man ever. Where um, I'm going to throw some pitches at you. And because of the velocity, you're going to have to think quick. You know, you maybe you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. If you have a story or two you want to sprinkle in, that works too. Uh, do you think you can hold your own in the batter's box here, Ben? Oh, absolutely. Bring it. All right. Batter up. Favorite New York City meal? Ooh, okay. Favorite New York City meal? I'm just going to, off the top of my head, I'm going to just do like an awesome New York steak. Good choice. Favorite NBA game you've ever attended? Ooh, man. That is a really tough question. I went to, and I can't remember the opponent, but I was at a triple overtime uh, Phoenix Suns game. I forget who they were playing because I know the Suns ultimately lost that game. But man, it was one of those where it just seemed like the game was never going to end. Uh, early 2000s. God, I forget who the opponent was. But I remember being a part of a triple overtime game. It was a lot of fun to be at. You created the viral music video back to the 90s, which amassed over 100 million views, charted on Billboard, and had the opportunity uh, or gave you the opportunity to work with the Backstreet Boys. What stands out the most about your interactions with the Backstreet Boys? Man, they were really cool. It was funny because they had uh, a residency in Las Vegas at the same time that we released a music video that in large part parodied them. Uh, the best part about them is that they, uh, they embraced the parody aspect of it. They didn't think we were making fun of them so much as just sort of celebrating the absurdity of the 90s. And so I give them a lot of credit for um, endorsing us. Certainly that helped uh, lead to even more virality for us with that specific project uh, and really helped to legitimize our completely absurd efforts with that video. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I met Brian Luttrell actually once at a, his son was in a Broadway show here called Disaster. And the guy, the guy could not have been nicer. And even though my friend accidentally called him Kevin, um, he didn't <laughs> seem to mind too much. He was just happy that I was wearing a Yankee hat because, you know, sometimes you don't necessarily see yeah. that at a uh, Broadway theater, but actually couldn't, it wasn't, that couldn't have been nicer. It wasn't even the Backstreet Boys so much that stands out about that, but the people that reached out 
on Twitter that didn't get represented in our video. It was a big parody video, so we represented a lot of iconic people and pop culture and things and music from the 90s. Uh, the funniest thing about that whole process was I remember Smash Mouth tweeted me and said, you forgot us. And I thought, <laughs> that's got to be like, I've, you know, peak I've made it mom territory when Smash Mouth is complaining to me on Twitter. <laughs> Love that. I love that. Hey, now you're an all-star, man. That's that could that is like one if there was a break a bat soundtrack, I mean that song would be right on there, right? especially because we talk so much about Araldus Chapman, the all-star Yankee closer. That, and that was my jam too, man. Summer that's like summer of ninety-nine wheelhouse for me, which yep. I was when I was like fourth grade. I love that. Totally. The actually voice right in there too. <laughs> on the subject of the nineties, what's your all-time favorite film from the nineteen nineties? Oh man, I'm gonna go Shawshank Redemption. Favorite 90s sitcom? Oh, Seinfeld. In sync or the Backstreet Boys? Gotta go Backstreet. Personal connection. Love that. Fact about Ben Giroux that would surprise people the most? I run obstacle course races, Spartan races all over the country. Where's the uh, most exotic place that you've done that? I wouldn't say so much as exotic, but one of the toughest courses I did was in uh, Montana, in like the backcountry in Montana, running up and down mountains was insane. That is awesome. Wow. Okay. You could be the lead in one Broadway musical. What would it be? Ooh, you're in town, even though it's not currently up, I think. Okay. That could be a fun one. Uh, show tune you played most recently on your Spotify. Show tune. Ooh, um, man, I guess probably Hamilton. And you can't go wrong with any song yeah, yeah. on that. So I don't care which one it was. So, all right. That, 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 that works. That <laughs> certainly works. <laughs> Proudest moment of your career. Uh, okay. This one's, it's a little bit of a, a, not lengthier story, but it's more than a one sentence. So I, uh, I was cast in a Christopher Guest series on HBO called Family Tree. And I'm a huge fan of Waiting for Guffman and Best in Show. I, you know, he's an improv guy. I'm an improv guy. I talked about earlier about how much improv we have in Big Nate. So I was cast. The, the gist of the scene was I was playing a, a tiny Abraham Lincoln. I'm a short guy. And there was a tall Abraham Lincoln cast. There were two Lincolns that showed up to a Civil War reenactment and only one could stay. And the way Christopher Guest shows work is they just give you the problem of a scene and they tell you to work it out. There's no script. Um, and so it was literally, hey, there's two Lincolns at a Civil War reenactment, only one can stay, work it out. That was our scene. So as I'm walking to set on the day, a producer comes up and says, hey, just so you know, Chris, Christopher Guest, is a little, um, he's a little stoic. You know, he, he doesn't necessarily like, outwardly show his emotions. So if he doesn't laugh, uh, it's okay. You know, don't worry. Um, it, that's just how he is. I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem. Um, by the way, can I cuss on this show? Absolutely. Okay. Um, <laughs> cause it's integral to the story. So, uh, so the whole thing start. I get one take and with us, the two Lincolns are getting out of their cars in the parking lot. And the way we decide to solve this problem is we just start beating the shit out of each other. We just start like actually punching each other. I had a bruise on my thigh for a while. Like we were just committed to it, me and this other improv actor. And I, in my improv state, uh, shove him across, uh, you know, across the pavement and I shout, emancipate this motherfucker. And um, Chris Guest like 
leaps out of his chair laughing hysterically, uh, absolutely howling with laughter. And, uh, and I look at him and I was like, oh, wow, that must have been good. Fast forward a couple months later, I'm at the rap party for the show and they all pass out mugs with Emancipate This Motherfucker written on, <laughs> on the mugs. So I thought, okay, if Chris Guest is passing out mugs with my improvised line, um, uh, then, you know, then I'm doing something right in the industry. <laughs> you certainly got a lot to be proud of there. Oh, I love that story, man. That's great. <laughs> and uh, this is the one that we use to wrap many a fastball derby. What is the best piece of advice that anyone's ever given you? Oh, great question. So, so many wonderful pieces of advice, so many wonderful mentors over the years. But the thing that stands out the most is my second acting job ever. I was filming the show Psych uh, on the USA Network. And I was in a scene with uh, James Rodé Rodriguez, really nice guy, very impressive actor. I was, you know, just out of college. And I go up to James and I say, hey, man, you know, I'm young, I'm hungry, I'm a sponge. What's the secret, you know, to success in entertainment? You've got your own show you know, give me a, give me a, some advice. And he says, all right, man, two things. One, do good work. Two, be a good dude. That's it. And the rest will come. And at first I was like, ah, well, that's kind of simple advice, but honestly, it has become the foundation of everything that I do. Do good work, right? It means I'm going to try my hardest. I'm going to prepare. I'm going to hustle harder than anybody else. I'm going to try to really put my heart and soul into everything I do and be a good dude. Treat the PA the same way you treat the DP, the same way you treat the wardrobe designer, the same way. Look, the whole point is don't be an ass. Um, in fact, I think you, if you talk to anybody at my company or in our productions that we do, uh, we have a no jerk policy. Uh, and if you're not a jerk, we'll work together all the time. And if you're a jerk, we'll never work together again. So I think be, do good work and be a good dude is really simple, very effective advice that has infused its way into not just the entertainment industry, but really everything I do in the world, be it friendships, social stuff, uh, career stuff, whatever it is, I just think, um, show up, be on time, do your best work and don't be a jerk. I know you're not a baseball fan, man, but you sound a lot like Cal Ripken, man, just showing up every day and being a good guy. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, Ben, this was such a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. My pleasure, man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm going to have to beef up on my, uh, on my baseball info uh, if we speak again. Yeah, absolutely. For Big Nate season two, I'm fully expecting you to come back, you know, having fully participated in a fantasy baseball league, if we even have a season with right. this lockout. But uh, man, I could talk 90s hoops with you anytime you want. Hell yeah, man. And I will say I need to beef up on it because I, I lived in Phoenix, Arizona during the, uh, what was it? Randy Johnson, the uh, 2001. Uh, yeah, you can just World rub Street. it in, man. 2001. Yep. Beat my <laughs> Yankees. Best World Series ever though. Hey, yep. I, objectively. It yep. was absolutely the best World Series ever. Even even I, as a non-baseball person, watched that that World Series. Yeah, that was a special one. And man, uh, dude, thank you so much again. I know you uh, all the folks at home are going to really want to tune into uh, Big Nate, which is again set to premiere on February seventeenth on Paramount Plus. And um, yeah, we're all looking forward to it. So, with that being said, we're going to sign off from the batter's box. This is Al Malafronte. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore 
A underscore bat underscore podcast. And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.